Hello, and welcome to episode four of Network Collective. Network Collective is a live stream video roundtable uh, discussion where network engineers from all walks get together, talk about the topics of the day. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the increased pervasiveness of encrypted traffic on our networks and what that means to us uh, personally as, as it relates to privacy and also as it relates to us as we manage the networks we're responsible for. Uh, before we jump into the topic today, I want to uh, say hello to those who are watching us uh, live on our YouTube live stream. Uh, if you are watching the show there, uh, you can use the hashtag Network Collective on Twitter. We're watching that. We'd love to have your, uh, your contributions, your, your comments, your questions, and we'd love to integrate them uh, into the show uh, as we can. So uh, to help us in this conversation today, we have uh, two very talented guests. Uh, these are people who are very experienced in network security, and I'd like to uh, have them introduce themselves. So we're going to start off with, uh, with Brandon Carroll. Hey there. So yeah, uh, I'm happy to be here. Brandon Carroll, you can find me at uh, globalconfig.net or uh, nowadays uh, datanetworkingtalk.com and on Twitter at Brandon Carroll. All right. Thanks, Brandon. Uh, also joining us is uh, Catherine McNamara. Yeah, I'm uh, Catherine McNamara, um, network-node.com uh, and um, on Twitter, uh, KMCNAM1. That's not the easiest one to remember, but hopefully the recording <laughs> will, will help. Um, yeah, thank you. All right. Uh, so uh, in that in that vein, uh, if you want to find information on how to connect any, uh, with any of us, uh, there's uh, profiles on all of our guests and our hosts on thenetworkcollective.com. Um, so you can go there and learn a bit more about who we are and where you can find us in chat. Uh, so joining our guests, we have uh, our other co-hosts of the show. So we have Phil Gervasi and Yvonne Sharp and myself, Jordan Martin. Um, let's let's dive in. Let's let's start with the very first question I want to I want to get to, and, it, and it's fairly simple. Is do you agree with the premise of the show? Do you agree that we're seeing more encrypted traffic on our networks? Uh, and if so, what do you think some of the causes that might be? And if you don't, well, what are you seeing that I'm not seeing? So, <laughs> so uh, let's let's start there. Well, I, I think obviously we're we're seeing more and more tra uh, encrypted traffic. I mean, even blogs are moving towards encrypt uh, encrypting traffic. Um, uh, is it a good and bad thing? Yes. Um, increased privacy, less, you know, man in the middle, uh, or interception, you know, risk of interception on big wide world, uh, internet, but also, uh, visibility challenges, you know, a lot of, uh, it's a very expensive to decrypt traffic. Um, being able to do things like SD-WAN where you have to be application aware to, to know which traffic is, is critical and not becomes a little bit more difficult. Um, so there's a lot of things you kind of have to think about whether, you know, you want to do decrypt or if you can't decrypt, how do you still maintain some semblance of visibility? That's a good yeah. point because that, uh, you're, you know, there's a, an increase of encrypted traffic uh, on our network, right? We, we already got that and we agree, but how are we handling that now and how is that changing the way that we deal with those technologies that are maybe very new? Like SD-WAN isn't necessarily brand new, but it's becoming much more prolific and ubiquitous on our networks. And that poses a problem, uh, you know, when you especially incorporate the SD-WAN and the WAN-OP components and maybe you have to break encryption at some point, you know, to dedupe packets or whatever you're doing. So how... How are we handling it is, is another question. Yeah. When I, yeah, I in what I've seen um, really about, uh, you know, 60 to 70 percent of all the traffic on our networks is is encrypted in some mm. form that that's a combination of either VPN or just HTTPS web traffic. Um, 
And there, there are risks with that, but there's also huge challenges with trying to unpack that payload and figure out what's in there. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I think it's, it's true. We are seeing this big increase in, in encrypted traffic. And, but I think part of that stems from for so long, we've taught people that if you want, if you want your traffic to be private, you got to encrypt it. And now we're encrypting anything that doesn't need to be encrypted. Hmm. So you, you, you pile that on top of stuff that really should be encrypted. And it's just, it's just going to continue to increase everything. Encrypt all the things now is kind of what everybody, what everybody does. Can, can you flesh that a little bit? What, what specifically doesn't need to be encrypted then? Well, oh, so on, uh, getting called out. News sites, right? Like news sites, you know, informational sites, anything that you, you know, I mean, you can, you can do authentication on an encrypted channel, but you don't have to share all the content, um, in a way that's encrypted. But I think, just from an ease of configuration, ease of use, stay, and not even really use, but it's easier to just have it all on or all off, I think. Yeah. Mm. Um, and then we had uh, we had the Firefox Facebook issue a few years ago where if you were on the same wireless network as somebody, F- Facebook used to authenticate via HTTP and you could you could steal people's credentials and, and uh, grab their session. And I think really when that happened, that's really when we started to see a huge change in how web services started dealing with their traffic. Um, yeah. they, they just started encrypting all of it. Yeah. I think like Catherine mentioned that even blogs are encrypted now, right? So if I'm reading a blog, I have to have an encrypted session to that site just to read a blog. Mm-hmm. I, you know. I, I actually, ha- I had this conversation with somebody I know. He's, he was starting a security blog and it was just going to be, you know, his thoughts on security in general. And one of the cool things he thought he was going to do was I'm going to smack a, a a uh, SSL cert on it and just force everyone to, to encrypt. Um, big thing I mentioned to him is it's a new blog. Uh, attackers like to hide malware in uh, encryption. And most of the time, people are not going to want to pay to decrypt. So they're probably going to block some low reputation or brand new blog rather than allow it to just go through because it looks, you know, like the URL just looks kind of safe or might be not be an accident. So you may inadvertently get yourself blocked by some like corporate sensors or, or, or some or corporate uh, uh, proxies and stuff because they'd rather not waste the money and the, the cycles on decrypting your little blog. So that is something to be aware of if you're a content pr- producer out there and you're trying to give free content away. Uh, if you encrypt your stuff just to, uh, for the sake of encrypting, expect yourself to get uh, blocked. I, I've seen, uh, like, especially governments uh, like and DOD contractors, they'll block, you know, even unencrypted blogs uh, if, if they're um, – if they're not, they don't even have like any sort of reputation. So if you want more exposure, or if you, you know, if you think that you have to do SSL uh, certification or certs, don't, don't, unless you're actually having anything logged in or you don't need, or if you're trying to prevent a relay, replay attack or something. I think it's interesting, right? Because I know it technically, I mean, people in the technical community have been aware of encryption and, and, and want to want to see more and more things encrypted. I think, uh, I think in the past couple of years, there's been an increased awareness because of some of the, the leaks that have happened that have come out of some of our intelligence agencies. Um, I've just seen uh, hyper awareness when we found out that, you know, Google was owned not between me and Google, but inside Google stuff. Right. Like and, 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 and there was just all this eavesdropping going on. And now I think every service is going that way. 
uh, even services that don't need to just for the sake of that, you know, there's a lot of people who just want privacy when they when they're browsing the web. And when we talk about, um, you know, what should we encrypt and what shouldn't we encrypt? Part of that equation, though, is is some of the heuristics about the things that you visit. It's it's not just about the content. Yes, I want my banking information encrypted, and yes, I want uh, my medical records encrypted. But I also don't want people snooping in on just the random stuff that I do every day, get a profile for who I am, and I feel better when you know there's not someone in the middle. I don't trust my ISP. Right? I, I just don't. I don't trust my ISP to not be building a profile on me. And so I feel better when that's encrypted and they can't see the data. Sure, they can see I go there, right. but they can't see what's going on. And so I think there's that. I think that's making it more into the mainstream than what it's been in the past. I think people are starting to recognize the value of that metadata um, and, and beyond the metadata, the actual data. And so taking all the steps that you can to try to avoid that. I did hear somebody say not that long ago, I made that same argument with regard to SD-WAN. But in any case, the uh, the reply was, well, if you can't trust your ISP, who can you trust? And my answer was, no, nobody. Yeah, the answer don't, don't is trust nobody. Any, don't trust anybody. But if that's your bar for trust, man, I feel really bad for you. Look at what people I, are doing with like things like uh, Tunnel Bear and these other services, right? Mm, they don't trust yeah. their ISP. Or they want to get, you know, television streamed from a different country, right? So you get these right. VPN services. Never. I've never done that. You want to never. get <laughs> you get this VPN service from somebody that how do you trust them? You know, so mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess there's some some level of implicit trust of, of whoever's providing the services, but at least you get to choose them. Unlike ISPs where, you know, your physical location tends to determine what uh what ISPs you have available mm-hmm. to you. So um, from a, the perspective of like a end user, I, I mean, honestly, I wouldn't want anyone snooping in on what I necessarily Google or something, not because I you know, Google anything too naughty or anything like that, but you can learn a lot about somebody just from you know, their, their web searches. So I'm glad to, on, as a consumer, those things are encrypted by Google or Yahoo or whoever you're using as a search engine, ask Jeeves, whatever. Uh, but um you know, from a business perspective, oh, she said it. I know. It. I, I, know I went old school. Back. That's Wait, yeah. yeah. That was very nice. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I'm pretty it's sure bumped. it's still out there, right? Someone just bought it, or something. I think it's like just that. Jeeves now. Is it Jeeves? Yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah. That's a rabbit, making rabbit trail. We don't they got rid of the ass. Kind of like MySpace is still out there, but nobody remembers that old profile that they that still exists. Um, <laughs> No, uh, from a consumer point of view, like at my home, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I like the fact that more things are encrypted. Um, from a administrative engineer business perspective that I have to manage that traffic, it's a nightmare because um, how do you, if you have applications or software services on the internet that's, uh, that are going to be encrypted, I mean, it becomes a little bit more um, – a little bit more uh, uh, manual and uh, resource intensive to actually keep track of all those things because um, you've got the option to decrypt, to d- discover what's inside that. And from a security perspective, that's really good, but it's expensive and there's a lot of caveats to make that work correctly without jeopardizing the user experience. Um, from a uh, 
the other alternative to that is statically kind of pinning services to IP addresses either on the internet or in, internally what you're you know mapping your applications that way and that's a way of doing it as well but if someone adds a server in there or adds a new uh, service on that on top of that server you're go, you're going through and having to make more changes to say prioritize that kind of traffic uh, or with your SD WAN or whatever it is so it's not being decrypted or but it's still being prioritized that's the way I, I see it at least. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess that's a good segue to the next part of the conversation, right? We've been we've been managing our networks uh, primarily with the with the idea that we have visibility into most of the things that go through, and the things that we don't have visibility to, I don't really want to know anyway. Like, I, I don't want to know, you know, uh, the employees of my company's bank records, and I don't want to know their medical records. Like, that's stuff that can be um, that can be encrypted, and I just I <laughs> I don't need to touch that, right? Uh, but now it's, now it's coming down to web searches and it's coming down to uh, using encrypted proxies to bypass filters. And, you know, like now, now all of a sudden there's just a, there's this continual growth of, of a need for visibility into that traffic. Uh, so what what type of tools do we have? I mean, so what are what are the what are the things now in our arsenal when we're when we're looking at trying to manage networks with encrypted traffic on them um, and, and we're coming from a assumed unencrypted to an assumed encrypted world, like what, what can we do? What's out there? So I mean, you mentioned uh, some of them, right? You said IP pinning, like we, so we could not yeah. analyze beyond layer four. Like we can just say this particular site, good or bad, that's it. I was looking at that from a, the perspective of like SD-WAN. Um, you also have the option to decrypt and you should be still, even if you're decrypting, you should be selective because if you throw all your traffic, uh, it'd be, uh, and decrypt all of it, there's going to be stuff that doesn't decrypt easily, or you have to inherently have a, a certificate trusted uh, on that endpoint to bypass some of that certificate pinning. And for anyone who doesn't know this, like, you know, if you're get decrypting traffic um, in between you and Google, for example, and you're using Chrome, you're your Chrome is, has a certificate uh, pinned in there that says this is Google certificate. So if you try to decrypt that without having a trusted certificate in between that your computer has already uh, enabled to, to allow that decrypting, it's going to fail. And so there's a user experience uh, aspect where you have to make sure everyone has a certificate that can, you know, that way it's trusted when you break that, you know, you essentially have a tool SSL decryption or, or uh, appliance or a firewall doing that decrypting for you. Or uh, you should be very selective. Uh, you can be selective about what you're decrypting and make sure that it's only the stuff that looks high risk or important, like you know, based on reputation or uh, based on certain sites that are 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 uh, more important to you. And kind of leave the rest as kind of a as kind of like the do not care and just let it through or block it straight away. Um, if you try to decrypt everything, legal issues may ensue, depending if you're like in the EU or you know, you're decrypting mm -hmm. someone's banking statement. Like first time you decrypt the uh, CEO's banking records, you're going to probably have some issues. <laughs> or anybody's, well, or think, anybody's for that matter. I think it's important to talk about what we do with that traffic once we decrypt it, right? I mean, why are you decrypting it? What tools are you using? Are you, are you encrypting it because you want to see if there's malware in there? Are you encrypting it for uh, data loss prevention? Um, that's going to really affect your strategy for decryption and yeah. what tools you use to do that. I mean, you have to know the why before you just, well, if I decrypt the traffic, it helps. Well, not not unless you have tools to actually yeah. analyze that traffic and do something with it. Yeah, I think oh, that's, I think, uh, that's I think a we, great point. 
Yeah. Before we before, I mean, we keep saying decryption, and I think that you know I think that all of us on this call know what we're talking about here. But I think we probably should take a minute to talk about what that what that means, right? We're talking about what is what is known as a man in the middle attack on SSL or TLS, right? So yeah. we have a we traditionally uh, when you connect to a server and uh, encryption is involved. Uh, the, the client, the browser, negotiates with the server. They agree on a set of ciphers, and, and it's encrypted from the browser all the way to the server. I'm being probably a bit oversimplistic in the, in the explanation, but generally that's, that's what's happening. So for anyone in the middle to be able to see that traffic, we have to, we have to break that connection between the client, the mm -hmm. browser, and the server. And so we're talking about a box that sits in the middle. And when it sees that traffic returns a spoofed certificate to the client and then initiates its own session to the web server, right. establishing its own, you know, TLS or SSL connection to that server. And, and in between those two points where it decrypts it or, or where it, it presents the spoofed certificate to the client and the point where it goes from that box to the server, it's unencrypted. And now we can do something with that traffic. We can look at it. We can modify it. We can... Uh, make some decision about it. And we've used this, I mean, for a long time, right? We've had proxies that have done this and we've had, uh, you know, web, these web filters and, and even some of the next-gen firewalls that have done this for some time. Uh, and, and generally it's been, you know, <laughs> I think it's kind of been ignored in our environment. But I mean, mm -hmm. there, was, there was just um, in March, I think, US CERT came out with an advisory saying, hey, wait a minute, when you do this, it really impacts the security mm -hmm. of, of that connection. Uh, and it has to do a lot with how that middleware, that middle box, is handling that encryption and decryption, whether or not it passes back certificate validation right. errors. Um, and so, I mean, like, I, I, this is one of those things that I don't know how many places we want to be doing this. I guess this, this is kind of my point. It's like, I, I think we need it, right? We need places where we can decrypt the traffic and make decisions about it. But it seems like everybody wants to do it now. It's not just yeah. at the edge, at the internet edge, where it used to be, where it was a web proxy, and that's it. Now we're talking about SD-WAN, and we're talking about that at every branch. And visibility. The ability, yeah, and visibility. And that's so right. like, we're building these things where we could build these application-aware uh, you know, policies and trying to distribute them everywhere. How many places do we want to be breaking this traffic yeah. and standing in the middle? I think, I think it's something that maybe we should talk about. Um, I, here's why I don't always – I don't think it would be plausible to – do that decryption in a large environment, uh, especially with SD-WAN. Uh, Cha-ching. That's going to be a lot <laughs> yeah. of money. Sure. It's not uh, that that re would require um, pretty much either a beefy enough firewall to do that decryption or uh, SSL appliances at every single branch if you're doing SD-WAN with a direct internet handoff. Um, I think that mo I don't think I've run across any companies that are doing that. And um, you know, kind of going back to to your, your point, point, Jordan. Um, you know, the why uh, uh, the why is important as well. Uh, but uh, realistically, SSL decryption used to be a lot easier. It was uh, a lot different. Um, it's still expensive, but we have uh, more and more complex ciphers these days. And even with, with decryption, it's you know the way that's the you know like quick where it's there's multiplexing where packets are being sent. Uh, you know. Uh, sent at faster speeds, but it's not, even with it, when it's decrypted, it's not as easy for an IPS to piece things together. So even, you know, from a security perspective, um, I do think that, 
even decryption isn't going to help us for much longer, or at least keep helping us or be as effective. Uh, we're going to get things that we can't decrypt. Uh, and um, and we got we got to be yeah. prepared for that. From a securities perspective, uh, perspective, we're going to have to start looking at other avenues. I mean, I think that uh, in the past it was slap an I, you know, AV on an endpoint and call it a day, and just put all these different, you know, different uh, like put a beefy firewall or an IPS and we're good. Um, I think that we have to like start looking at, you know, beefing up the and hardening the endpoints, but also kind of looking at like the analytics of how data moves around the network. Cause you know, right. like, uh, you know, it's not only like uh, you may not know what's in the packet, but if you see that in your log, in your uh, in your logs that somebody downloaded, a, you know, a 20 gig proprietary mm -hmm. uh, file, and then suddenly you see that they uploaded 20 gigs to Box, you couldn't break the encryption, but you know that 20 gigs went up to Box. It's fairly uh, it's fairly easy to know that it, or it's to guess at least that this might have been that file that was that was uh, being pushed up to someone's personal box account or, or something along those lines. So looking at that um, yeah. will at least help us know that uh, even if we can't decrypt it, we know that something might be going on from a security perspective. From an SD-WAN side, uh, it gets a little more difficult. I don't know if anybody that's decrypting just for the purposes of uh, of being able to uh, optimize SD-WAN, and that also seems pretty expensive to do. I'll kind of throw it back on I anyone else. I can tell else. you they're, they're, they're doing <laughs> it. They're, they're, they're all pitching it. Like, yeah. just about everybody yeah. is... is um, is pitching this idea of application awareness. I mean, that's really one of the big selling points of SD-WAN. They're um, pitching and, the application awareness, but are they pitching decrypt everything? Yeah. Yep. Well, I, not, necessarily yeah. De not necessarily decrypt everything. Decrypt via policy. Um, okay. but, but, of course, you know, the, the unwritten statement in that decrypt ver via policy is the fact that the, the, the more you decrypt, the more you're going to be able to apply policy yeah. and, and make decisions about where things are going. And so, I mean, uh, this conversation is not happening in the SD-WAN sales pitch. Let's just put it that way. Like the, the, the cost and the impact to performance and, yeah. and, and, and all the implications of, 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 you know, this man in the middle type approach to decrypting SSL, um, they just say they can and they do. <laughs> so you, so you can do this thing. And, and so I think that we're going to start seeing as, as people start rolling it out, that there's a real impact. I would like to add that some people are having those conversations and they are. Yeah, it's not are, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I say that only to say that it's the, the result is the, uh, it elicits a second conversation with the chief security officer and some other people <laughs> that are trying to put out the fire that you started. So for sure. Yeah. I just, I want to just, they don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, I want to go back to just for a minute the the, the conversation about the decryption for, for security tools, right? Mm -hmm. Send that traffic to a security tool. And then I think about how in the past we would, we would always talk about, I mean, for years, teaching IPS courses and how, you know, we want to get traffic that we can see through that IPS because it's in line and it can find all this good stuff. But, I mean, the, the truth was that they, they couldn't necessarily keep up with emerging threats, right? Mm. They're always uh, struggling to stay up to date with, you know, zero day attacks coming out, things along those lines. I don't think that's changed now. <laughs> I think it's it's getting more and more difficult to stay current with these zero day attacks. And so the, the argument of decrypt everything because we want to send it to our security tool to be filtered, I just don't think that that, I don't think that stands as much now as maybe 10 years ago when we want to send something through an IPS. I think it's even worse now. So like Catherine said, we've got to be looking at other things that we can do 
you know, the data analytics and, and figuring out what people are doing. That was a great example of you downloaded a 20 gig file and now you sent 20 gigs to the box. Hmm, what was that? Um, you know, and then, uh, you know, throw on top of, of all of that, your DNS resolution and, and, you know, what, what kind of things you're looking up before you make these connections. Um, I think we got to be looking at that because I, I think, you know, just trying to take clear text, take something, decrypt it, and then send it through a tool. You got to pay for the tool. You got to keep that tool updated. And at the same time, you're paying big bucks for these appliances that are trying to decrypt all this traffic too. Yeah. Right. I mean, we, there's a scaling issue there, right, as well, because you're, you're creating a, a bottleneck. And it's always been true. An IDS, IPS that sits in line, a firewall, anything that's, that's centrally, you know, <laughs> we funnel everything here and then this thing has to handle all of our traffic. Well, as, as bandwidth and throughput increases, those boxes have to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and they just haven't scaled at the same rate that throughput has. I want, I want to talk, because we're talking about heuristic, like heuristic analysis mm-hmm. of, 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 of traffic. And a lot of this comes back to knowing your environment. Like mm-hmm. you have to know, you have to be able to establish what normal is right. before you can tell the variations from normal. Now, there's some really clear, obvious variations from normal. If you're sending that 20 gig file to China and you have no business partners or anything in China, uh, yeah, okay, Alert. we probably, that's a really easy thing to identify as, yeah. hey, this may be a thing. But I think heuristics has always, it's always had this, you know, catching the big stuff is possible, but catching, some of the more nuanced things has always been a difficult thing. Like I don't think heuristics is ever going to get to the point where it in itself is a solution that tells us everything that we need to know. I mean, because, because the idea is, is that baseline, there's some variability on the baseline always. And so, you know, a 20 gig file that you download and then 20 gigs up to box doesn't necessarily indicate something bad. Right. But if you alert on every time that happens, you're going to just get alert fatigue. Right. Like you just eventually you just say, ah, yeah, but that's I can why I check so many things. But that's why yeah. somebody needs to manage that expertly. I mean, you're right. There's a alert fatigue. But if you, you know, you manage your baselines, you know what your baselines are. And heuristics is adding some sort of intelligence there. So there's definitely cost associated with it. So this isn't just a cheap alternative. But, uh, you know, somebody who's about to leave the organization, you know, HR sends IT that email. And it's cool how we get to know that before they do. Right. Um, no, no, I don't like no. I don't like knowing I, that. I'm not saying that I take special pleasure in knowing that, but I take special pleasure special. in knowing that <laughs> somebody needs to deactivate his uh, his AD account, and and all of a sudden it's okay. So let's do that prior to him grabbing you know all that uh, intellectual property off of the file share. You know, so obviously there are those uh, glaring examples, but uh, you know the the way that technology is going right now, looking at host to host intra land traffic and 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 pushing all that uh, down to the endpoint, like Catherine was talking about, and being able to say, okay, peer to peer, why why are we moving these files over here? Let's you know not allow that to happen. Why are we allowing these executables to run when they shouldn't be? You know things like that. So, um, you know, I, I think that that's definitely the direction that we're going. It's not really a, a, a an encryption conversation more than a or as much as it is a, a security in depth conversation, right? So. I, I think it's that. I think heuristics is an add-on. Yeah, right? it's yet yeah. another. It's another piece. It's another, another way layer. to identify information. Mm-hmm. I think it becomes more necessary because of the encryption conversation. I think it's why we're talking about it. And I don't want to turn into an advertisement for any specific product, so I'm not going to mention any product names. So, but I'm um, thinking of one. 
Yeah, I'm not going to because, to be fair, this is not my job or my workplace. And uh, so I'll just simply say blanket. You know, there are ways and tools out there that uh, they don't look just for like one single upload or download, but like a combination of things like um, baselining over like a 30 day period. You're usually Mm -hmm. like this user is usually in from nine to five and then suddenly, uh, you know, you know, uh, Jordan, I'm picking on you. Jordan logs in at two in the morning and then. Jordan's usual, like, you know, east to west traffic from his servers to his PC is, you know, 50 megs. Suddenly he's downloading uh, uh, 50 mm-hmm. gigs in, at two in the morning. So, like, things where it looks at, like, demerit points and adds up, like, hey, these are a lot of unusual things. Maybe Jordan's just working late and has a deadline and he's just downloading a bunch of stuff to his house because he's doing something legitimate. <laughs> or maybe someone from Russia stole his credentials and, you know, is going crazy and stealing proprietary data. But at least like looking at a combination of things and, and these systems out there that uh, these tools are getting smarter and smarter. So while they still have kind of a certain thing where they alarm a threshold they alarm on, the behavioral baselining um, based on user and their specific behavior added on with specific thresholds if you always want to be alerted if you know more than five gigs goes to the internet from one specific host. You know, th- those kind of things can, you know, trim down on some of that alert fatigue and at least uh, mm-hmm. at least give you a better, clearer view of what's normal for, for Jordan versus, you know, some guy who works in marketing. Sure. Yeah. I think one of the things that, that we need to think about though is um, you know, security is a multi-pronged endeavor. Mm-hmm. And I think for a long time, uh, and the the security sales industry is probably worse about this than anything. There's a big breach that happens, oh, and yeah. then all of a sudden, you get an email from every security vendor you know that says, right. we could have stopped the, the security popular breach of the day. Yeah. And, and I think... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the word wasn't coming to me. But we have to, as practitioners, have a strategy and understand where the products fit into our environment and into our overall security strategy. Mm-hmm. And that has to include the endpoint. It has to include uh, the network. Flow data is incredibly valuable from yeah. a security standpoint. And we have to combine all those tools to, to help build a decent security practice. And as network engineers, we're just a small piece of that puzzle. And I think we have been sold like here, put this box in, mm-hmm. send all your traffic through it and you're a-okay. I mean, yep. we've got a firewall, we've got yeah. IPS, but, but nobody has looked at that IPS and the alerts in five years. And it's, so behind on updates that the hardware won't even run it now, but we've checked our compliance box. So we're okay. And I think that is the big challenge in a lot of our large organizations, not all of them, but some of them that don't take their security practice maybe as seriously as they Mm -hmm. should. Yeah. We're sort of taking a a little bit of a turn here and talking about the the philosophy of security, right? That endeavor or that paradigm, but you're right. Compliance, I think drives quite a bit of that. Uh, So what, what boxes do I have on my network? And, you know, certain C-level people might think, okay, just buying this next box will give us the security that we need to check those compliance boxes. And here's the thing. Often they do. You just need to say, I have an IPS IDS appliance on, on campus just needs to be on, you know, in a rack somewhere and you can check the box. 
we're good. Oh, it's going to cause downtime? Yeah, but as long as it's in, it's good. So just plug it in literally, and we're not lying to our, our regulatory bodies. So that's, I'm sorry to go negative. <laughs> but, but, but on the other side, uh-huh. yeah, on the other side of that, it does drive what, uh, what ciphers we're using, what, uh, where we are able to encrypt and decrypt uh, when we have to promise to a particular customer that we're providing end-to-end encryption between point A and point B. So a lot of that uh, design, going back to encryption, but also the, the layers of security that we have in our enterprise is driven by, by, by those compliance requirements. At least it has been in my experience, you know, in my couple of years experience in enterprise IT and even back when I was a consultant. Um, so sometimes that's more frustrating than anything else, but that's been, you know, that's been my experience there. I often feel very nihilistic when it comes to security. <laughs> I really do. Like Please I, I look at security. Yeah. And, and so when I say that, um, and actually, I'm going I'm to bring this back to a paper I was reading and preparing for this show. Mm-hmm. Um, even when you do it right, even even when you, you know, because you guys are talking about organizations that don't really take it seriously. And yeah, they absolutely exist. I've worked in them. I see them regularly. Um, you know, they just want to check the box and that's it. But even for organizations that are doing it right, this, this is the type, type of stuff that scares me. And so this came from a paper called The Security Impact of HTTPS Interception. Um, and this was, you know, and... Uh, university type study kind of joined in with uh, with people from some you know major cloud providers those types of things and, and in there what they found is specifically about these boxes that were acting as proxies pretty much these these ones that do HTTPS interception and whatever 11 out of 12 significantly reduced the security of your traffic if you had them in in their default configurations 11 of 12 they decreased. the ones they looked at they decreased because they used they used less secure ciphers or they didn't validate certificates and pass them back to the end user. Eleven out of twelve is what they found, That's and five good. and five of them had what they called considered critical or secure vulnerabilities, as in they offered um, like encryption that had been known to be broken. Yeah. And so the the session between the box and the and the browser, the this middleware box and the browser would be fine. It mm-hmm. would be some sort of encryption that was well known and established because the browser had abandoned that type of cipher for a very long time. Yeah. But they then were establishing connections with web servers with like export grade <laughs> encryption, like stuff that has been, you know, we haven't used in years, mm-hmm. and and they're and by default they are willing to accept a connection like that. So man in the middle was trivial; it, w- it was absolutely trivial to stand in the middle between the middleware box and the server because the encryption ciphers had are well known to be broken, and there are tools to do it, and they're susceptible to vulnerabilities. That's five out of twelve of the major players. Mm-hmm. I mean, like yeah. this is at, in their default configurations, and so even even boxes that you put in and you set up the policies. I mean, like if you don't understand down to the cipher level of what's being done and vary from what the vendor has given you as, you know, their default, you're making yourself more vulnerable by running it than less vulnerable. And this was the whole backing for this whole US cert, um, you know, announcement that, hey, like HTTP intersection interception may not be you know, the best things in sliced bread or whatever. Um, and so like this, this is the type of stuff that makes me, so when I say I'm, I'm, you know, somewhat nihilistic about security, it's like, it just seems like something you can't win. I mean, yes, that's why you have depth and that's why you have all these components. And I know we have a couple of people who've invested a lot of time into security. So I apologize if I'm stepping on your toes, but, uh, but in that, I just, I look at this and this makes me depressed. Like, (laughs) like these boxes, like I expect more out of our vendors. And unless these customers who are buying these products are validating, 
Like not just not just installing it and installing it based off the press practices that the vendor is saying, but actually validating what they're doing. They'd have no idea. Yeah, yeah, I, I, it makes me feel like chasing your tail, right? Like, yeah, like you're just because you can't trust that the vendors gave you good policies. You can't trust that your service provider's not doing something they shouldn't. You can't trust <laughs> that you know the organization is implementing the security tools the way that they're supposed to, and not just ticking off a box for compliance. So it's like, who who wins here? Uh, <laughs> the sales guys, the sales guys. Yeah. The, the unfortunate part is, so I was, uh, you know, after the Sawana Christ stuff happened, uh, there was a lot of uh, uh, similar uh, upset on uh, on LinkedIn about like, I everybody's calling me, every security vendor's calling me saying that they could have prevented this, I, but none of them will s- sign a 100% guarantee. And one guy uh, who worked at a different security vendor uh, smartly said, Oh, I can give you a guarantee, but you have to write me a guarantee that you're going to patch it, keep it up to date, upgrade, uh, make sure you follow best practices, and mm-hmm. someone's going to be checking yeah. the logs. And uh, the guy just didn't say a word back. The reality is <laughs> um, default settings, uh, I do agree that vendors, all vendors, my own included, should be holding a, to a better standard, uh, not just putting the easy button on just because they know it'll work. Um, uh, but also uh, from a perspective of operational handoff, like I, I've seen people brag about like, hey, look how long, how, look at my uptime on my firewall. It's been up for eight years. Wait, that's eight years oh, yeah. without an update. What the hell? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, that's not something to brag about. How's that heart bleed yeah. going? And, uh, you know, shell shock. Yeah. Like, um, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's terrifying because it's the edge device. Like I've seen uh, large financial institutions still have picks firewalls at the edge. I mean, you know, to some degree, I, I think that all across the board, um, uh, security from the operations or whoever's owning it in the organization needs to kind of be well-read and researched because you, you're right. You can't just read, you know, take it out of the box and pretend like it's all uh, it's all good because that's the vendor settings. And from the vendor side, uh, you should be putting it a little, you know, putting it a little, high, you know, raising the bar a little to make sure that it's uh, that you don't aren't just giving them the easy settings that works for everything, but it's going to be massively uh, compromise themselves. Uh, they shouldn't have to make 10, 20 different changes just to make it semi secure. So I, I agree on yeah. that at that point. Well, depending you can look at on that another way. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Brandon, please. Oh, sorry. I just th- think, and you could look at that too as maybe the vendor had a product that they shipped with settings that are vulnerable. And that was four years ago, five years ago. And and now there's been updates that fix it, but you haven't updated it. So now whose fault is it? It's not the vendor's fault for shipping something that at the time was considered to be strong enough. So. Well, I was was thinking (laughs) of a YouTube uh, video on a certain firewall that, uh, that uh, it was the big, thing on YouTube years ago, but basically they took it out of the box and they were able to, uh, it was a competing vendor and they were able to bypass like with 99, like different, uh, bypasses on like an old, using an old tool. And, uh, the other vendor was like, cause vendor wars, uh, other vendor was like, well, you didn't implement this big long list of best practices we had. And we're like, the, they were like, well, does every customer read that big, long, like 20 page list of like things that you have to set to before it's like decently secure to like, you know, and immune to like 10 year old software? Not mo- <laughs> I, I would venture to say most people don't. They're, they're given a project saying, go implement this firewall. They're not sitting there reading, okay, what IPS signatures do I have to? I mean, in a perfect environment, you have a security team and a, and a network team working well together and, and making it extremely granular. But 
every environment I've worked at and most of the people I work with um, are usually stretched really thin and they're trying to move from project to project. And I mean, mm -hmm. you guys can, uh, can tell me, uh, you know, do you guys have too much time at work to uh, here on this call to, uh, <laughs> to go and tune everything and make things work even better and uh, constantly update stuff? I was just, I just thought it was funny when you said that, when you said the word security team. I was like, what is that? <laughs> what? Is that? Yes. I mean, there are even yeah. really large organizations. Well, that it's don't a have mythical that, but... thing some people have. Uh, but it out is, there. but the, this, yeah, it's mythical. Unicorns. This is, uh, this is a, but that's the sexy thing right now, you know? Uh, security is, is hot on the news and, and therefore, uh, it's on top, it's top of mind for C level folks that aren't technological or, in tech, you know, into technology. And so, you know, the, the, the number of people that are, or the, the organizations that never had a CIO now have CIOs, uh, that never had a CISO now have a CISO, C level person and looking at information security. So, you know, I, I think there is still, a, there's a change that's happening where there's a uh, more serious thought given to um, uh, looking at security as a, you know, like, like Yvonne said, a multi-pronged beast. Is that what you said? Something like that. I don't think <laughs> I used the word beast, but I did. A multi-pronged endeavor. Yes. Right. Because, because in my yeah, experience I, I now a focusing beast. a little bit more on security <laughs> in my job, uh, you know, having a network engineer background, that's what I am primarily, but I'm looking at security a lot more these days. You got to have your hand in everything uh, from, compliance regulations and understanding like the you know having read through like the nist documents through uh you know homeland security stuff and and then also just how 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 packets flow on a network to knowing gr how group policy works and and understanding you know, and you know uh, how do i authenticate bgp so there's there's all these different you know the multi prong that Yvonne was talking about so it's it's hard it's hard and so you know that it, it doesn't lend itself to just first of all just having a box being put in and then having a team to be able to to do that, you're talking about, I think, in my opinion, some seriously talented, talented people. And talented people are very expensive. I, we we touched on... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, one thing I also uh, think is there's a little bit of a... When it comes to security, there's a little bit of a disconnect sometimes between uh -huh. operations folks and management, like on the true cost, on how important it is. Um, so I was in, after that WannaCry weekend, I was actually in one of my you know, networking chat rooms. And uh, some guy from an MSP was like, they're never going to learn that it's uh, more expensive. It's more expensive to be preventative. I mean, you've, that's why companies have insurance. And, uh, you know, I, I, whenever people tell me, like, what about Home Depot and Target? Uh, I just tell them, when was the last time you shopped there? And, of course, everybody has. And, uh, you know, I piped in. I was like, look, you know, from your perspective, people still shop there. So, therefore, they didn't lose money. Um, but here's some news articles showing that even though insurance paid a hundred million dollars of the losses for Home Depot, they still had to cough out 91 million. Or with Sony, you know, they, you know, it may, insurance covered, uh, you know, a uh, hundred million or so, but they still had to pay 63 million. How much of, you know, would you th say their security budget is every year? I'm going to say it's probably mm -hmm. less than the 93 or the 60 million they coughed out of pocket, you know, or even if, like five-year uh, security budget. So, like, I think yeah. that from a from a ops network engineer point of view, we don't always necessarily, and I'm guilty of it too. We don't necessarily understand how that check is written or how much that check is. We there's a lot of assumptions made on the importance of security, and it's a little bit of a disconnect from the uh, from the technical to the business side, and that's always kind of been a problem. Sure. 
Well, that that's the whole point of you know the risk assessment and what is the cost per record. You know, if if we if we are if we do have a breach, you know, is it two thousand dollars or, or twenty thousand dollars depending on your industry? Um, yeah, I, I I agree with that. <laughs> so I we we've started to tackle something that's probably a bit broader than what we can handle within our show time, and that's no, no, you know, all of network security. <laughs> it's all good. Um, uh, maybe maybe we should uh, lead it back a little bit. So I mean, we've talked about we've talked about different approaches. We've talked about uh, different tools. I mean, ultimately, what's what's the right course of action? Like, what what are we? What should I mean? If 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 you're you know, you know the the network engineer and the primary person responsible for network security at you know a firm of I don't know, a couple thousand people, you know, like what what is it that you should be doing? Where should you be focusing? Should you be focusing at you know. Uh, heuristic? Should you be focusing on the edge? Should you be focusing on the clients? Like, is yes. it all of the above? All of the above? Like, <laughs> yeah. so, so what? What? What is the? What is the? You know, what's the takeaway? Like, if you were to give advice in, uh, you know, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna seriously limit you thirty seconds to a minute. What do you say is the right course of action? Uh, where, where should people be looking? Because I mean, uh, you know, encryption's making it harder. What do we do? Depending on the reason why you're doing it and uh, your industry uh, and the budget you have, you kind of have you'll have to uh, mix and match all of the above. So you may not have have the ability to decrypt at every site, and you may have a requirement not to. So you'll have to take advantage of other tools to be able to assess threats or be able to assess, you know, from an SD WAN perspective, what what's a critical application based on IP and services. But, but you, essentially, there's no right answer or wrong answer for anyone for, you know, covers everybody. It really just depends like a DOD versus like a, you know, a manufacturing company are going to be two different things. Yeah, the DOD is the one who's attacking us. And no, I'm sorry, that's devolved. Whoa. Or financial, financial, <laughs> financial institution versus a manufacturer. There you go. Fair enough. I'm surprised the stream didn't just get cut. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm, I'm waiting for that. <laughs> I, I hear the drone outside. I would say that um, de decryption is a precision tool and we can't treat it like it's a blunt instrument, mm -hmm. right? So if you're going to do decryption, you got to know what traffic you're decrypting and why and what you hope to gain from decrypting that traffic. Um, but it wouldn't, if I were new in a security practice, it wouldn't be the first thing I would look at. I would, I would want to understand where is my outbound traffic going on the internet? Is it going to places that we don't do business with? Well, I'm thinking that from a career perspective, get some skills, uh, because yeah, these boxes are expensive to put in, you know, a visibility network parallel to your network is incredibly expensive. And then also the, the, uh, the, just having to learn how to you know configure all these things. So there are so many great free tools out there, but it requires you to know this this stuff, you know, the t this technology, what what's going on. And so I I personally think from a career perspective, so not from an operational perspective, is uh, get some get some professional development and learn to code and and learn what's going on at the packet level and uh, you know take some courses. Um, and then utilize a lot of those free things. You know, I use I use a lot of really expensive stuff, but I still use like Nmap and Angry IP Scanner and Security Onion and all these things that are not you know that are nothing. You know, so. All right, I think uh, I think that's gonna bring us to a close today. Um, so uh, first, I want to say thanks to our guests. Thanks for coming on, chatting with us about uh, about encryption, uh, and then diving into you know security as a whole. Loved it. Um, 
Also, thanks to all those of you who watched uh, live and also to those who are watching in the future. It's very time machine-esque. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to find out, you want to find out more about us, uh, thenetworkcollective.com is where you can go. We have links to all of our other you know, web profiles there. Um, two weeks from now, we will be doing uh, another episode, same time, same place. Uh, that episode, we're going to be continuing the conversation we started in episode two, where we talked about choosing a routing protocol, and we're going to be diving in specifically in and around uh, EIGRP and some of the you know practical considerations when using it. Uh, so we hope you'll join us then. Thanks a lot. <laughs>